Now, get ready to talk hockey. Streaming from the Oilers Live Studio. Subscribe or follow today. Hey, 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 it's Michael here for another Tuesday edition of Oilers Live. Uh, they're all special editions. I was going to say special edition. We've got our friend AJ Hayfley from, uh, did they just call it Denver or is it DNVR? What, how do you refer to it? It is, it is DNVR. It's supposed to be, uh, the idea was that it would be like a TV station call sign. So. Okay, okay, fair. So from DNVR, Avalanche, he's the beat writer for the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, also a member of the uh, Professional Hockey Writers Association, not the guy that voted against Connor McDavid for the Hart Trophy, uh, and uh, and a uh, guy that's been on the show a couple of times. Glad to have you back, AJ. Welcome. Yeah, man, it's been uh, it's been a while, so I'm uh, I'm excited to be back on it. Sorry about last week. Oh yeah, no no problem, no problem. It's good to have you, and and probably tonight's better than last week anyway, so it's all good. Uh, you know, it is good to have you back and, um, I'm, yeah, I started with it and I wasn't even going to go this way. I want to talk mostly abs tonight. And I think you tell me, and at some point, stop me if you think I'm wrong, but there's this bias in the Eastern media and with Eastern fans that the East is, is a beast and, and the West has a long way to cover. But when I look at teams like Dallas, Colorado, Las Vegas, Edmonton, right? Like the West is is strong. Not to mention we've won the last two Stanley Cups tonight. Let's try to put that to rest. Unless if you disagree with me, but I think the West is pretty capable. Yeah, I, I think that the uh, the West uh, certainly the the depth is an interesting conversation because you do look at the last couple of years. There have really only you know two years ago. The eight Eastern teams were the clear-cut eight best teams out there. There were it wasn't even close. There wasn't a ninth team that was worth a damn. And then last year there were you know with the injuries that Washington had and with the unseriousness of Buffalo's approach to goaltending, <laughs> you really only had nine teams that 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 belonged in the conversation for real. Uh, and so I think I think certainly out west, if you were to go one through you know eleven. You you would have a pretty good conversation that you know teams teams one through four in the East might have been a little bit better, but once you get after that, I think you that's where that's where the strength of the West lies. And then we watched the East uh, hemorrhage so much talent at the top. Those top teams have hemorrhaged so much talent this offseason. I don't know that there really is a clear line of delineation anymore. I think that uh, I think that both of them. Uh, have their have their their powers, but there isn't anyone out there that is without serious question marks anymore. There's no one team at the very top of the heap that you're looking at and saying these are the ones to beat. It's a it's a collection of six teams, you know, between the East and West that you could make strong arguments for on any given day. It could be the most open year we've seen in a long time. Uh, you know, in terms of who's got a chance to win the cup this year, for sure. Uh, there's no, yeah, there's no clear favorites. There's nobody I would say is a definitive uh, Stanley Cup Finals team so far. The regular season, I'll tell. Yeah, and and you know, I don't think we're in for any kind of Boston level of surprise like we saw last year, no. where 
everything came together and that was i mean that was a truly magical run for 82 games for them and then you know as we've seen a few times now uh, the postseason starts and life is harder <laughs> yeah 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 it's uh regular season just changes everything and then the postseason changes everything uh it's um you know it's it's it is a tale of two different seasons as we saw i think in and sometimes from year to year depending on um it can be a single player that makes a difference so i talked to you before we got on air um about uh last week we had mike jack michaels on the on the show and i did have some colorado avalanche fans uh give me a couple of uh you know bumps on that one because jack spoke about the avalanche a little bit in missing their captain last year how that was such a big part of them not going forward you know what's your take on that is that like there were a few things that didn't go right in Colorado's favor, but is that probably the the biggest piece? Uh, I think on an individual level, yeah, absolutely. Not having, uh, I think, I think the problem was twofold. That obviously missing a player of Gabe Landeskog's caliber is a big problem. Uh, he's kind of been their their uh, the the problem eraser for them at the top of that. Uh, that lineup for a handful of years in terms of his versatility where he's listed as a wing, but he takes an awful lot of face-offs and does an awful lot of heavy lifting at the, at the center spot defensively, uh, especially when he was playing next to Nathan McKinnon. Uh, he would do an awful lot of things to help him out, uh, to help cover that spot. And so not having that guy was, was a big problem. And the other, the other part of it was that they kept thinking they were going to have him. And so it was $7 million that just went unspent throughout yeah. of the season because, you know, at the start of the year, it was, hey, it's going to be, we think he's going to, we, we think he'll be back maybe November. And then there was an official, well, it, eight to 12 weeks, you know, which was sometime in January. And then it was, well, okay, January rolled around and, well, you know, we don't, um, we don't really need to push it. We're going to give him some extra time. The uh, the All-Star break is at the start of February. Let's not worry about it till February. Then February rolls around, and uh, he's still not out there. Uh, and then he started skating with the team uh, after the trade deadline. So they were thinking, hey, he's going to be healthy. We're going to get this guy in here. Uh, the start of the postseason, Gabe Landeskog will be there. Okay, well, the $7 million went unspent at the deadline, but they're going to get the guy back, and that's a huge part of it. And then, you know, two days before game one, it was, we're shutting down Gabe Landeskog for the entire postseason. Uh, and then, what is it, a couple weeks after, maybe not even that, after the, the Avs lost to Seattle in round one, Landeskog has major surgery that is un, unproven to work on professional athletes, has no track record of success in the NHL, and is ruled out for the entire regular season and postseason already for next year. So big problem. Like it was yeah. the whole it was really just the combination of all of it. They obviously you obviously miss anytime you 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 don't have a guy that's capable of putting up 30 goals and 75 points for you, but is also one of the league's premier two-way wings, you're going to really miss that guy in your lineup, but also not having the captain. And then also going through 
the kind of turmoil that the Avalanche did in losing over 400 man games lost to injury. In playing lineups, there was a point in December where they had two, two players that were healthy in their top nine that had any business being in a top nine in the NHL. And it was Miko Rantanen was playing center. Notoriously, a right wing is playing center for the Avalanche. And it was JT Confer and Miko Rantanen just looking around like that Will Smith meme at the end of Fresh Prince when he's in the empty house. <laughs> and he's yeah. looking around like, where did everything go? That was Miko at one point. So things got pretty wild last year in Colorado. There was they, there was never a rhythm. There was no semblance of any sanity. They were in pure survival mode from the, the second the season started to the second that it finished. The postseason started and everything, they were they were as healthy, healthy as they had ever been. And by game seven, everything had gone to shit. It was a total fiasco. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it is interesting, right? Because they were so dominant the year before on their road to the cup. And, uh, you know, yeah. it just, it seemed to, nothing seemed to go right for them. What was it like? Cause you're around the team, obviously you're writing for them. Did you feel it like when you're in the dressing room and, and you're talking to the players, did you, did you get any sense for like the frustration that the team was going through? Yeah, the, there was definitely a palpable frustration really from the top of the organization all the way down where it was just like these injuries just won't end. You could feel it even in talking with people at the AHL level because the AHL team, obviously when the NHL team is that beat up, the AHL team is also bleeding all of its top talent to the AHL. I mean, at one point, at the start of the year, the Avs named two guys co-captain and those guys combined to play like 40 games in the AHL last season. It was a it was a total fiasco for the entire organization, uh, and it was it, it was incredibly frustrating. Uh, it 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 never really felt like the Avalanche got a true title defense uh, because it it just went so poorly. They had basically the shortest off season that any that an NHL team has ever had. They were so beat up going into training camp. It wasn't just Gabe Landeskog. Darren Helm wasn't healthy either. Now. You know, I know Darren Helm is more of a role player, but he was so important on that on that cup run that uh, the Avs, you know, the Avs were something, you know, at, at one point last year, the Avs were like, they had like $23 million uh, on just the, in, just on LTIR, like on just, just not playing for them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's a fourth of your cap. And I like find me a team that's going to go out there and and be really successful at a high level with a fourth of their of your cap space just not available to you. An actual team, not any of the funny LTIR nonsense the teams are, are doing these days. A yeah. real team. So it was it was a mess. And I, I'm I'm saying all this. And they had a 109 point season. They win the division in game 82. Like they have home ice in the first round. Like as far as far as bad seasons go still you know it's, it's still pretty good year there are a lot of teams out there that would have liked to have had colorado's end result yeah i mean you know yeah those are those are good points but certainly everybody expected more right and that was and that was the thing you didn't expect game 82 to be the deciding factor of course when you look at it you know there were some like i was maybe surprised to see how strong dallas would be 
right? And, uh, you know, there are some other factors in there as well. So, uh, okay, that's a good transition to, you know, you're in the offseason. You're Chris McFarland. You know what's going on. You have a little bit. Is there there's some certainty now that Landis Gog's not coming back, right, this this year? Definitely. Yeah. And so you you have that certainty. Uh you know, what's maybe give us a bit of a rundown of, of how the off seasons look for the Colorado avalanche. Um, you know, there's still, I think that Darren Helm's not coming back or he, is he coming back? Uh, no, he retired. Yeah. He retired. So what's, um, what's McFarland done to kind of change maybe the outlook for the avalanche going into the upcoming season? Well, so the number one thing is they know, as you mentioned, they know no Landis Cog. So that gives them $7 million to work with. Now you have to try and replace Gabe Landeskog, which anybody that paid attention to this last <laughs> offseason knows that um, it was not a robust free agent class in terms of difference makers. Um, so it was uh, it was a challenge. Hey, they had seven million dollars to spend. Woohoo! But um, trying to find a useful way to spend that money had its challenges. And uh, the number one problem for the Avalanche last year, beyond injuries, was that their center depth wasn't any good. Uh, JT Comper as a 2C was wildly overmatched when it actually mattered. Alex Duhook took no meaningful steps forward from his uh, rookie season. And Ben Myers was a total flop at four, you know, on the fourth line uh, at, at center and was a, a spot that... I mean, their fourth line at one point was Martin Kaut being centered by... Curtis McDermott and Jacob McDonald, which if Oilers fans aren't familiar, those are defensemen. So, uh, uh, you know, defensemen by trade. Both guys yeah. have moonlighted at forward in their NHL careers, but they are primarily defensemen. And Colorado's fourth line was a right wing put on, uh, at center uh, and two two defensemen. Um, so it was, that was the kind of year it was down the middle for the Avalanche. So the main the main thing was... They went out, they got Ryan Johansson for nothing. It was future considerations and Alex Galchenyuk's rights. Nashville did not sign Galchenyuk. He went to Arizona and then had the meltdown of all emotional meltdowns uh, and <laughs> yeah. lost that contract. Yeah. Um, so they get Ryan Johansson for free at half retained, $4 million. Hey, he's been hurt, but it, it costs them very little. Uh, to to it cost them essentially nothing to acquire him. It only cost them four million dollars in cap space. They had to take some chances, and that's really the theme of the offseason. Chris McFarland had to take chances. There weren't very many safe bets out there, so he takes a chance with Ryan Johansson having a bounce back season after having a sub thirty point year last year uh, in another injury riddled year, which he has mostly had uh, since getting to Nashville. Like most of his Nashville career, he fought injury problems. So. That's the number one thing they did. Then they they move they move New Hook to Montreal for a first and second round pick the day before the draft. The morning of the draft, they move the one of the second round picks uh, that they ended up with. Um, or the the I guess the second round pick they ended up with in from Montreal. They move for Ross Colton. They give Ross Colton a four year deal of four million dollars. It's pretty rich for what he has accomplished so far in yep. the NHL, but. He's going to come in, and he's expected to be the the 3C now. So they've at least fixed that, um, that where Brian Johansson and, and Ross Colton, two and three down the middle, are two guys that uh, are pretty proven in the roles they're being asked to play in. It's more of a Ross Colton, can he handle 
a full-time job where he was more of a lineup uh, amoeba for the uh, for the Lightning last year as a guy that they had their own injury issues. He moved around and did tons of things. Ryan Johansson, can he just stay healthy? When he's been healthy, he's been effective. Um, he's kind of a quiet player. I think Jared, I think he's going to drive Jared Bednar absolutely bonkers. Was that because that he's he's in his entire career? Coaches have been trying to get him to engage at a higher level on a night-to-night basis. You don't typically fix that magically when you're 30 years old. Yeah. Maybe Jared Bednar's magic pixie dust actually works. Who knows? But the number one thing for Rijo, he needs to stay healthy. So the Avs took that chance there. Then they took the chance with Ross Colton in a, you know, in a full-time, or we're trusting you as a 3C. He was more of a wing in Tampa Bay. Uh, so, okay, now, now they took that chance there. Then... Then free agency day came around, and the Avs just decided to go balls to the wall. They gave Miles Wood, for some insane reason, six freaking years, man. Hey, Miles Wood is a proven NHL player. He's solid. He's fine. Um, he's got a big-time penalty problem, and he's only been, like, so good in the NHL um, as, as, a, as a guy, as a bottom six player. Fine. The money is fine at two and a half million. It's not offensive the, for the role in his career and all those things. It's all good, man. It's fine. Six years is, uh, I, I don't know. I, whatever. So I, I certainly don't love it. I don't get it, but maybe it ends up being a wonderful value by the end of it. Probably not, but who knows? So the Avs took the chance on the six years there, but at least they got a player in Miles Wood. Then about, I don't know. It was like maybe five minutes after the Avs announced that they had signed Colton or, or uh, Wood to his six-year deal. We knew we had signed him, and then it was almost like the Avs like it was almost like the Avs knew that the six-year term was absolutely insane because they they were like, "Hey, we can confirm that we have signed this player, but we don't want to tell you anything about the contract." It took us like two full hours from the announcement of. Miles Wood and the Avalanche are in agreement to actually getting contract details. It was obscene. And then, of course, the six-year thing happens, and we're all like, our minds are blown. Uh, it's anybody... a modified no-trade as well. Would you know the details around that one? It's, it's like, very, very limited. I think okay. it's, it, it's like, six teams or something. Like, like it's, yeah. like, bare, like just <laughs> don't trade me to a bottom feeder, man. Just don't do that. Like, that's what it was. Uh, and, then, and then immediately after that, that part that comes out, they agree to a a damn near league minimum deal with Jonathan Duran and abs fans who have been hankering for McKinnon and Duran to reunite for the last like 10 years, finally get their wish. It is finally time Jonathan Duran. And then it's, it's what, like it's 800 and some odd thousand uh, that, that he's making yeah, it's 825 that he's yeah. making. So yeah, just over league, man, yeah. you're, you're talking about like the, like the, Totally risk free here, but can Jonathan Duran stay healthy? Is his life together? Uh, can can he play any level of defense to not drive Jared Bednar nuts? Can he do? <laughs> can he contribute on a team that has some structure? Because if you watched Montreal last year, you'll know that structure was not part of the plan uh, for Martin Saint Louis group. No structure, absolute chaos on the ice. It looked like an AHL team, really good AHL team, but an AHL team. So can Jonathan Duran play in a much much more structured environment where the the expectations are sky high, and just because of his relationship with McKinnon, 
it may not even be a fair ask that pe- it's like people like me are like, he could have a 65 point season and I wouldn't even blink. And it's like, is that really fair of us to say this about a guy that has like 17 goals over the, the last like handful of years? So, yeah, I mean, yeah, the I'll tell you in Halifax, they're excited about it. <laughs> yeah. I bet, man. I bet. <laughs> Yeah, I mean this this seems to be the year of the uh reunions, right? I mean, we've got uh, Connor Brown coming back to coming to Edmonton to play maybe alongside Connor McDavid. It's doubtful that we'll see the two of them play many minutes together and might be the same with Duran and and McKinnon, but if you know, if they're able to uh you know, revitalize any of that old chemistry, uh, yeah, and magic happens. I mean, Duran was a uh, half point of player throughout his career so far. He just hasn't played a lot of a lot of games, right? I mean, he's had one. Oh, I just let me look here. Yeah, he's had one full season. It looks like, uh, and his defensive numbers are absolute garbage. Oh, <laughs> uh, P.S. Uh, the defensive numbers for Duran Johansson. Colton and Miles Wood—they're all bad. So the Avs are the Avs are just like, well, we're going to drop you into our system with our coaching and our structure, and the fear that Nathan McKinnon might kill you in your sleep, and we're just going to hope that all of these things just magically get better. Uh, it's a big. It's a when you look at the individual moves, you could talk yourself into the upsides of them and where you get it. When you look at them in totality, it's pretty fair to look at it and say, "What the hell's happening here?" Like. You are you are rolling the dice on every single one of these moves. There is not one of them that you can look at and say, from beginning of this contract to the end of this contract, I am confident in what I am getting. Yeah. So if you, today, I mean, given what you've seen from McFarland, and he's, what, about a year and a half in? in uh, basically role? two. Two years. I mean, what kind of, you know, letter grade would you give him? Like on on his uh, performance so far in the off season, and given the fact he didn't have a ton to work with, right? It's just yeah. as you said. I mean, the free agent pool wasn't. It was you know we've seen better, better that's for sure. So you know, how do you look at what his off season looks like? Yeah, I would say um, if we're counting if we're counting how he was last season in it, um, I would just give him an incomplete because the team he built never played together. And so yeah. we have no idea how it would have gone. We just don't know what that universe looks like. Um, this offseason, I, I feel like uh, Ryan Johansson is fine. I probably, you know, Kevin Hayes cost a sixth round pick uh, and was just maybe just a shade more expensive in salary. I probably would have preferred that over Ryan Johansson. Um, pretty similar deals. Uh, I think Hayes is, I think Hayes had an extra year, but he's been, he, he's the, he would, he was the safer option and seeing St. Louis make that move. It's kind of a twofold problem where the abs, the abs maybe get the lesser player and then a division rival gets the one that they could have, they might've been able to have for a similar price. So I don't love that. I would say the letter grade, a um, lot of low end, uh, a lot of like, uh, just there's so much risk built into it um, that I th- I think I would probably give him like a B minus for right now. Yeah, um, that I've just it's hard to feel like he pushed him over the top, but there's enough upside there that I, I can't crush him for any of it. 
Well, and, he, and he's either a genius or <laughs> he's completely, you know, out to lunch. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of question marks that will remain in terms of how these guys finish the season. I am really curious. I mean, and you and you talked about it, this uh, Miles Wood contract, you know, t- uh, 2.5. Uh, he wasn't a player that was really talked about uh, with the Oilers. So, you know, I wasn't really following him from a free agent standpoint. Was there some competition there or, or like Colorado? It's not like, you know, and I, I love Edmonton. It's my home. Uh, so, you know, I'd go and play there <laughs> for, for league minimum, but yeah, there's a lot of players that want a little bit of an Edmonton bonus if they're going to play there. Cause it's, you know, it's Northern, Northern city, you know, uh, travel is, is absolute crap and all of these different things. But Colorado it's not like this is actually a good place to play like you get yeah. to play with you know arguably two of the best players in the world in in Kale McCarr and, and Nathan McKinnon mm-hmm. and uh you know Colorado or Denver's you know a beautiful city it's right you know smack dab in the mountains you can do all those things it might not be Florida I don't know what the taxes are like there but why why six years why two and a half mil why the modified no trade clause I mean you seemed like you're questioning these things as well, but have you heard any reason for them? Yeah, so the uh, the Miles Wood one, uh, the modified no trade, I don't understand even a little bit. I just don't. I mean, good lord, man. The, what's what's one thing that has made me nervous about McFarland early on is that uh, under Sackick, the Abs gave out very little trade protection, even on some of their best players. You're talking trade protection was pretty rare. They just didn't do it much. And then if you go uh, if you go and you look at uh, the abs right now, if you just go and look at their cap sheet under uh, McFarland, you'll see there are like half the roster has some sort of protection there. You know, Josh Manson got one, um, uh, uh, Lekkinen got one, Natushkin got one. Obviously, McKinnon got one. Rantanen, um, I guess Rantanen is a few years older, uh, and then Miles Wood has one that kicks in at some point. And it's just like, like, dude, like this is, you're making it harder on, you're making it harder on your future self to be able to move these guys if things don't go the way that you want them to. Um, but it is, in terms of the six years, uh, from what I, from what I had heard is that Wood had multiple, like long-term offers of okay. at least four years on the table. Um, and a couple of them had higher AAVs than what the Avalanche were willing to go. And so the Avs just said, hey, if we stretch this out and give an extra year or two, can we get the AAV down to a more palatable number? Now, six years, I wouldn't have even blinked at six years had it gotten to two million. But the fact that it was both 2.5 and six years, I don't know, man. For me, I just thought, why? You don't see very many of these contracts given out to guys who are are bottom six players. Yeah, I mean, the the only thing I can... Those guys have been better players like Callie Yarncrook um, and uh, Brandon Tanev were were both better, yeah. more proven players in there when they got the deals that they got, which both of them, when they were signed, everybody was like, what is this? But those 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 deals aged well because those were better players. Uh, Wood is a hard capped bottom six guy with a big time penalty problem. Uh you know, the Devils made the postseason and weren't even entirely comfortable with him in the lineup. So it was a 
it was definitely, I think, a tough one. But you also saw there were that teams this year have been more comfortable than ever moving and just giving players away to just get out of contract issues. Yeah. We're just going to give these guys away for free. You know, we've seen we've seen it with higher profile guys, you know, Vegas, certainly with Flurry, Flurry and Pacioretty in back to back years. Yeah. That's, that's for, got nothing Vegas, in return. Vegas is a bad example. <laughs> sure. But like what I'm saying, you know, teams have just gotten very comfortable just saying, we're just giving this guy away for very little here for free. Yeah. And so maybe maybe this is where the you know and then and then you see the Avs give six years to Miles Wood, the Islanders give what seven years to Pierre Ingball and Scott Mayfield, where you're just like, are these the guys that you give those deals to? But I think there's so much faith that um, that the the cap will go up, that teams are just willing to live with it and saying the AAVs are are low and money has been a major has been the major factor here in being able to dump contracts or not much more so than term. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you have to think that some of the thinking behind that six years at two and a half is that, you know, the cap's going to go up to the point at which by the, by the end of six years, that's close to a, you know, similar to a league minimum type of salary that it doesn't matter if it's on the books or off the books. But in this case, when I look at the, you know, the salaries for the avalanche, I mean, you got a lot of players in that, you know, four or five year standpoint that are, you know, where two and a half millions, the only is the low ball one out of all those, they're all modified, no trade clauses is this is the team you're going with (laughs) right now for the foreseeable future and so you know as i said before either mcfarland's a a genius or you know it's an early exit for him uh in a short tenure as as gm uh is um you know and i you know every uh there's probably you know 50 percent of the avalanche fan base that calls for the coach's head every now and again is is bednar (laughs) is he in any any trouble this year at all? Is there any no. expectation from him? I mean, I you know I didn't think there would be, but he's pretty safe. Uh, yeah, he's fine. Uh, there isn't any. There's at the moment there is absolutely no appetite to move on. Um, and one of the things that when you know when we talk about on our shows, uh, you know, and on on in our coverage, when we talk about the possibility, when we address it and say, hey, could a team move on from Jared Bednar? Sure, it's easy to fire a guy, but when you're hiring somebody, you're trying to move the organization forward. Is there going to be a guy out there right now that you have confidence is going to be a better head coach than what Jared Bednar is right now? Hell no. Give me a break with this. If Jared Bednar got fired tomorrow, there would be probably at least five five to seven teams that would have conversations about firing the guy that they have behind their bench right then to try and get involved in hiring him immediately. The guy, yeah, the guy I, has I won everywhere. That. Yeah, and the you know, I mean, the one of the keys. I mean, it's it's a fan thing, right? I mean, uh, totally. under under Woodcroft and Edmonton, Edmonton's had one of the best records since he's he's joined the team, uh, and there's still a segment of the fan base that calls for his head <laughs> after you know one bad one bad line combo in a game <laughs> you know the, the sky's falling so yeah i mean you get you get that stuff right where it's like it's it's easy to look and say oh i can i can clearly see something isn't working 
And so I'm going to propose a change. Okay, well, where am I going to start with that? Oh, well, you've got to send this guy to the AHL, trade this guy. All right, what'd you get? What'd you get in return? You know, there's a there's a large chunk of Avalanche fans that can't stand Sam Gerrard, right? But if yeah. we have seriously put Sam Gerrard on the trading block, there would be a healthy number of teams that would be like, cool. And But those same fans that are desperate to get rid of Sam Gerrard are going to be, like, chomping at the bit to crush any kind of deal that does not return the Avalanche something good, something that they like, a guy they've heard of, or a first-round pick, or whatever. You can't just, like, give that guy away and then turn around and be mad and be like, well, I thought he was really terrible, but his trade value had to be so high. Like, that's not the way the world works, man. If this guy is so bad, why are a bunch of teams lining up to go and get him? Why is it, you know, and then... When he, when he, if he gets traded for a low return, like, why, like, how can you be mad about that? You thought he was terrible. That should yeah. be what he's worth then, right? Like, it just, you just can't have it both ways. And it's always. Yeah, they expect GMs to be, to be magical. <laughs> yeah, well, they've spent too much time playing the NHL version where you had multiple phones, depending on how good you were as a GM. <laughs> like, yeah. give me a break with this. Like, that's the stuff that I'm like, this is white noise. You are deeply unserious about this. Just please stop. Yeah. And uh, and for those that uh, care, of course, Kale McCarr is uh, the new cover of EA24, speaking of playing NHL games. Uh, when we look Very at cool. this team going into next year, who are some of the prospects that um, you know our Oilers fan base might be looking at from a Colorado avalanche that might come up this year? Uh, it's the, the, the farm team is, uh, that well is pretty dry. Uh, the avalanche are going to be trying to get blood from a stone this year. I think, um, they're, you know, Oscar, uh, is a recent first round pick that they're going to, we'll see. He made, he played one game last year. It got cut short because, uh, Evan Rodriguez got hurt. And so things, things happened in that game that cut it short. Um, Jean-Luc Foodie is another guy. He played, I think, nine games for the Avs last season. They got better as they went on. Uh, and he showed a lot of promise. There were a lot of things that you liked. Wasn't quite ready. Had a very, very good year in the AHL. Definitely looks like he will be one of the guys to uh, to keep an eye on um, in the next like year or two. Sam Malinsky on defense. Uh, he was a college free agent that the Avs signed at the end of the season. He's already 24 years old. So um, we'll, he's going to be in competition for uh, one of the Avs' depth defensive spots. The Avs yeah. really like him. But you know how it is when it, when it comes to 24-year-old uh, guys that are just jumping into pro hockey. You don't have super high expectations there, but we'll you know we'll see how it goes. The way he plays the game is a very good fit in Colorado, so that'll help him. Um, in terms of guys, you know, as as Billy in the chat mentions, Nikolai Kovalenko signed his ELC. He's officially been loaned to his KHL team, who terminated his contract, and a lot of a lot of a lot of like like specific like contract maneuvering, but the essentially the deal stays the same. He will play, Kovalenko will play his KHL season with his club, as was the plan. At the end of the year, he will come to North America and join the Avalanche. How much of an impact is he going to have? Dude, who knows? 
he's he's not supposed to be more than a middle six guy at absolute best. Um, so I like that's like an end of the season guy. I've been trying to tell Abs fans keep an eye on Ben Myers. He uh, he played a like forty some odd games with the Abs last year. I think he scored four goals, three of which uh, happened at the very end of the season to make it look not quite as bad as it was. Yeah. And he also had like a maximum cursed season. Uh, he had outplayed the production by quite a bit, uh, and and was a very good defensive player for the Avalanche. But needs you know you need point production to stay in the league. So. Uh, ben Myers is a guy that I'm hoping has a better year. And then the very first thing the Avs did in the offseason is they went out and they traded for uh, Frederick Olofsson from Dallas. Yeah. So that's a yeah, that's a youngish guy that they gave a league minimum deal to that they really like his versatility and think he could help them. But basically all of these are are either bottom six guys or a third pairing or, you know, just like a an extra depth guy, maybe a seventh defenseman or something. Yeah. So, so no impact guys. Yeah. And then when you look at the, uh, like, how do you feel going into the season with another year of Georgiev and uh, Frank Kuz on the back end? I feel great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Papa Francois has had a couple of injury issues here and there um, in the last couple of seasons. That makes you a little uneasy about it. Uh, but, you know, they have a prospect that they really like in Eustace Ananen, who's gotten a couple of games. That uh, They also brought in another guy in Arvid Holm to be uh, to be some real competition for that Eagles starter job in the AHL and Colorado's third goalie. So I'm comfortable with that part of it. I love Alexander Georgiev. Um, he, the Avs took a big chance on turning over the keys to a, a cup team. Uh, to a guy who had been a backup whose numbers had gotten worse every year. And he was spectacular. He was maybe their most consistent player beginning of the season to the end of the season. He stayed healthy. Um, he took on an increased workload. Uh, he really, his worst month was December. And it was with a bunch of asterisks next to it. Because that's when the abs were by far their their most injured. And they weren't playing very well on top of that. But they had they had an AHL lineup out there. And yeah. he was he was hung out to dry on a lot of that. So uh, feel feel really good about where they are in net today. Um, you know, uh, Georgiev is just a. I think he had a top ten goaltender season, and uh, he gives them the Abs a top ten player at on all three levels at, at forward, defense, and in goal. And yeah. the teams that do that are the teams that you have serious conversations about winning Stanley Cups. That's right. Yeah, I agree 100% on that. And then when you look at this upcoming season, I mean, you, you know, we talked a bit about it, but uh, Dallas, I think, has got stronger uh, from last season. Uh, you know, Minnesota, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess they're going to, you know, be around the same, at least pushing. Uh, you know, what do you see as kind of the biggest challenges coming out of the Central this year? Uh, I mean, for the Avalanche, their greatest enemy continues to be just the battle of health, of course. But yeah, uh, I think Dallas and Colorado going into the season, those two teams, I think, have clearly separated from the division. Nashville had a really weird offseason that probably made them worse. Um, Winnipeg had a weird offseason, kind of an incomplete offseason where the PLD trade is pretty good, but... Does it move the needle? Does it make them better? Does it make them worse? I don't. I don't think it changes a whole lot. 
they're better depth-wise. Are they better at the top of their roster? No. And that's kind of been their bread and butter. So, meh. Um, Minnesota, meh. I, I often try to forget Minnesota exists. Um, watching those games is is uh, my own personal Guantanamo experience. <laughs> uh, and Arizona got better. Great. They were a 70-point team. There was a lot of room for them to get better. Now they're probably an 80-point team. Yeah. Neat. Drafting Connor Bedard makes Chicago better. They're still irrelevant. So I think it's two teams at the top. St. Louis didn't do I, I, as much as I would have liked the Kevin Hayes thing. St. Louis doesn't move the needle from bad to the bad team that they were last year to not bad. They're still heavily reliant on a bad defense, just a bad defense, and one that's getting older and will continue to get worse. Uh, and Jordan Bennington, which we all know that guy's nuts and not <laughs> great. So yeah, yeah sometimes sometimes when Gelt you make Genyuk that bet, are hanging out somewhere. I'm sure right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how many how many games do uh, Colorado play Chicago this year? Is it four or three? Uh, I I, I don't know, man. I don't actually start looking yeah. at the schedule seriously until yeah. uh, until I have to start living it. You know. Yeah, I always look uh, first at the Battle of Alberta, which has uh, become less relevant now that Calgary's taking a dip. But um, do you want them to be good? Like, is that more of like a we, you know, a kind of an iron sharpens iron? Like the rivalry is at its best when the teams are on the same level, or is it like how I feel about Detroit, where I'm like they could suck shit for the rest of my life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I get I get that feeling. You know, I want them to be good but not that good. You know, I'd like them to compete and just good enough that they think they can beat the Oilers. You know, like, like when the playoffs happened there and, and Connor put the nail in the coffin and practically destroyed the team. Uh, you know, that's, that's exactly how good I want the flames to be. And as long as they're, you know, struggling around there, it's great. But I when they're no good, it's like the Battle of Alberta doesn't matter, right? It's and you know the Battle of Alberta is something special for you know Oilers fans and for Flames fans, and and there's something to be said. Although, look, you know, years, year, many years have gone on with this rivalry where you know one team you know, sucks absolute shit and still comes out for that game because look, the fans are are jazzed up and ready to go and. And there's always an energy in the building. I went about six years where I didn't miss a game live, where I went uh, both to Calgary and Edmonton to watch. And and it's exciting. It's good. You know, there's the, uh, I don't know, I, I mentioned before that you need to go back and check Jack Michaels out for his calls, his fight calls. Uh, go specifically to a Battle of Alberta game where he, you know, he called a fight uh, between, uh, uh, Smith and uh, Talbot that ended up, uh, you know, it was a line brawl and it was absolutely fantastic. And, and the players get right behind it. It's been, um, it's been really, you know, great. Uh, is, you know, the, um, some stranger asks who's the Av's biggest rival. Is it Dallas? I'm, I'm kind of curious about that. I mean, obviously for you, it, you know, Detroit, is there a team that the fans get really jazzed about when they come to town? Um, I mean, it's it's funny because uh, it's changed every year. Like it, 
Like the default for the last decade has been Minnesota, because if you've ever been to Minnesota, you get it. Uh, it's just, <laughs> nah, hard pass, right? Um, so like it's been it's been Minnesota, and then the Avs lost to Vegas, so then it was Vegas for a year. Then Vegas missed the playoffs, and then the Avs had an absolute like war with St. Louis, and the the Kadri Bennington stuff, and yeah, you know the Nazem Kadri hate trick is like one of the like all time like fu sports moments in in Colorado sports history. So um, you know that like like the abs fans hated on St. Louis for an entire year. I have the arch in my Twitter profile picture because I talked about how I stole it. <laughs> like 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 St. Louis sucks, right? Um, yeah. But then but then they went out and they made themselves irrelevant by being awful. And so it was like, ah, come on, this is this is like hating a baby. How do you do that? You know, like it's just <laughs> messed up. So. It's really there. Really is not a rival right now. It's like Colorado against it, like injury luck. It's like like that's their true one sustainable rival. Um, no true rival has emerged, although there is plenty of disdain for a handful of teams uh, among the fan base. If you had to pick one, it's it's Minnesota. But some of that comes from Minnesota just owning the Avalanche in post in their postseason history. So yeah, um, there just hasn't there isn't really um you know. Like like Colorado and Dallas, just their matchups last year never really got all that frisky. There was always something up with one of them, um, with one of the teams. It, they just never really they did they haven't played interesting games in a while. Uh, the Abs have won like twice in Dallas under Jared Bednar, so it's just not a very interesting rivalry um, at the moment. You know, playoff playoff series always change that map, and right now there just isn't really a good answer. Yeah, I, I mean, for the longest time, Edmonton hated Dallas. Right. I mean, we seem to play them every every year in in the playoffs and and felt like a big rivalry, you know, the same, you know, went for, uh, you know, of course, Carolina losing to them in the Stanley Cup finals in yeah. 06. Right. You know, you, you start hating, hating teams more so after after a good series than. I, I mean, frankly, we hated the Avalanche. I was going to, I was going right? to yeah. say, yeah. on an individual level, Avalanche fans yeah. have a lot of dislike for. Uh, I, I don't think there's as much dislike for Connor McDavid because he's so good that it's like we'll give you that one. But it's Leon Drysaitel that draws yeah. a lot of ire in Colorado because it's like good. he's overrated. Have you ever watched him play defense? And it's like, <laughs> Nathan McKinnon's better. Like most Avs fans will be able to tell you one to one if they're being honest. McDavid is better than McKinnon, but when it comes to Drysaitel, the swords come out, man. And then obviously, like like Kale McCarr is like like everybody, every Abs fans like favorite Trump card. Well, they're like, we got Kale McCarr. What do you got, huh? You got nothing. Oh, Darnell Nurse, yeah. Like you know, Kale so McCarr it's a, is a special player. There's no doubt. Yeah, definitely, yeah. and definitely, and that's where like I've always like I've always been very pro uh, Oilers stars because I love watching them play. And my respect for Leon Dreisaitl went through the roof after the postseason series between the two teams, uh, watching him on that gimpy-ass ankle. Uh, it, like, after every shift, he's going to the going to the bench, and you're like, he's got to be done, right? Nope. Comes right on out and just keeps on going and just keeps scoring goals and shit. And you're like, this guy's incredible. So I, for me, it's nothing but respect. But you can understand, when it comes award season time, you stop. You stop loving on Edmonton a little bit, and just be like, "Come on, man!" Like if Avs fans could just get Nathan McKinnon one Hart Trophy, yeah. I think they would be very happy. 
Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, unfortunately, he's kind of in this Iserman type of thing, right? Where he's, you know, always kind of there and uh, definitely, yeah. you know, any given moment could be in contention. But, you know, Iserman played when Lemieux played and when Gretzky played. And so, you know, what do you say exactly. about a guy that's perfect. as good as that and it just sits there? I mean, <laughs> it could be any night of the any night of the week that uh mckinnon's the second best or even the best player in the world depending on you know how he's playing he's just so dynamic fun to watch and definitely uh definitely love watching him and love watching kale mccarr too both uh, really great players uh your view uh was the kale mccarr goal offside <laughs> I'm honestly yeah. curious, like how much of this is like actually a thing in Edmonton? Like, uh, you know, place. there are, you know, it's like anything, you know, in, in Calgary, the, the goal that went in against Tampa and in St. Louis, you know, yeah. the, you know, at Toronto, the, the Gretzky high stick, like there's always something right. And, and I, and I would actually say to you that, it's about 50-50 with Oilers fans. Now, the part that doesn't hurt, I think, for most Oilers fans is it wasn't really going to be our series anyway. It was a it was just one thing that, you know, might have changed, you know, how many games it went, right? Like Colorado was far and away. They were they were meant to be the the Stanley Cup champions that year and and there wasn't anything that was going to get in their way. Uh, and there just was no answer for McCarr and for McKinnon, you know, when it was needed. Right. And, you know, yeah. the unfortunate was there was just wasn't enough enough depth on the Oilers to um, to do that. I think, you know, times have changed. They're they're a different team now. And and some of those um, you bring in at home and some of those uh, depth uh, conversations have changed. Uh, but that year. Whether whether people are upset about it or not, I think they can all agree that Colorado is always going to win that series. Yeah, where where I struggled with it is I was like, guys, this is the first period of game one. Like, what are we talking about here? Like, <laughs> there were three more games. Like, the, like Colorado's starting goaltender literally couldn't see. Um, but they had to bring in the bag. Like, Colorado's goaltender pulled himself because he can't see. Yeah. So you got an entire series of Pavel Francouz, and then also Evander Kane uh, breaks Nazem Kadri's thumb. So there's no you're you're on your backup goaltender, and Colorado's two C isn't there. Like you had you had a you had a shot at it, and you want to focus on uh, you want to focus on an offside play in the first period of game yeah. one. Like it was a pivotal moment in the series. Like give me a break with this. <laughs> so I think I think for me that's where I struggle. I was just curious because I. You know, Oilers fan bases are are one of those ones where, uh, in numbers, I don't know that they're very high, but in volume, they're way the hell up there. And so, oh, they're, I, just, I would I say they're know. one of the highest fan bases uh, in the league in numbers and volume, uh, for sure. I, I mean, I've traveled okay. just about everywhere to watch the Oilers play, and uh, they come out in droves. Uh, you know, it's um, it's unreal. I mean, and. And part of it stems, you know, it's, it's pretty easy. Like I walk around, I'm, I'm in the East Coast now in Halifax. I see more Oilers caps than I see just about anything. And, you know, some of that might be from 
the AHL team having been here, but that was many years ago. But so much of it is from the the glory years in Edmonton. They just got yeah. so many fans, and and that was in my mind, like, you know, that's the WHA and, and the NHL came together. That was a growth time for the league. It was, you know, a huge part. And, and that's when a lot of people made their choices to which team they were going to support. And you, you might as well support the Oilers because all of those players were amazing. Right. And, yeah. and so, you know, as if, you know, and if your father was an Oilers fan, you become an Oilers fan and, and yeah. the cycle goes on. I don't know that, um, you know, there's as many Oilers fans as there are Leafs fans. I mean, wherever the Leafs go, it seems they're the loudest. They're always the home team. And Montreal fans are probably about the same. And maybe if you're watching a game in Philly, you might be an Oilers fan, but you kind of hide that under your shirt if you want to get out alive. You keep that Uh, shit to yourself. (laughs) But but I I would suggest to you that uh, it's got to be one of the biggest fan bases in the league i i I don't know if i'd say it's it's the best because they're they're brutal sometimes right like it's uh you know uh connor mcdavid's been chirped at a restaurant before (laughs) so you know it's kind of it's kind of like this uh they take it really seriously in edmonton um but hey it's hockey and we love it right and um totally that's the way it is yeah, man. I mean, we're all here for the same thing. <laughs> That's exactly it's, it. Yeah. It's, it's a love of a thing that we have absolutely no control over. But I do, out of all the American teams, I do see a lot of Avalanche jerseys around as well. Uh, and so the Avalanche yeah. have a lot of, and of course, a lot of that comes from the Sackett gears and, yeah. and the move from, uh, you know, Quebec to um, to Denver. Uh, yeah. You know, there's definitely quite a few Avalanche um, fans out there. Yeah, I think the uh, Sackick Forsberg Wah era, uh, when you have the Holy Trinity like that, it creates yeah. a lot. And they were on they were on ESPN and national television when that actually mattered. When national television was the way that a lot of people got to see teams play, and the only way that they could see teams play. Uh, and when you have the Holy Trinity, man, like you're 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 on TV a lot, and that created a whole generation of Avs fans who immediately had to sit through the Matt Paul Stastny, Matt Duchesne stuff. Which was like, ugh, like what a, what a, what a almost good era it could have been, <laughs> uh, and <clears throat> you know, and now, now being an Avs fan is awesome again. So you know, it's just the way the world works sometimes. I think it's two pretty charmed fan bases that, uh, you know, one fan base goes from from the Gretzky Messier era, um, you know, has to wait a little while, but then ends up with yeah. Connor McDavid and Drysaitel together. You know, the Avs go, the Avs go from. Uh, you know, Sackick, Forsberg, and, and Wah into McKinnon, McCarr, Rantanen. So pretty, pretty charmed fan bases that uh, uh, we both have been part of. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's maybe a great way to, great way to put it. Um, there's about five minutes left. Uh, you know, I kind of like to look at a couple, a couple of things um, uh, before you go. I, you know, yeah. when you, when you think um, there's, well, there's two, Two things I'd like to know. One is, um, where do you see the Avalanche uh, finishing this year? Do you think they're, you think they've done enough, or they've got the team that's going to vie for the cup? Yeah, I think, uh, I think regular season, I'll probably put them, uh, I'll, I'll probably put them at second in the division, uh, just because Dallas hasn't had injury problems in like a decade, uh, and the Avs have injury problems every year. 
the abs are going to have a lot of early season growing pains. Uh, and so I think that there will be, uh, you know, I, it's just really, really, really hard to win a division when, uh, when you go through some of the stuff that I think the abs are going to go through and, you know, Georgiev might take a small step back, blah, 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 that stuff. No, I wasn't going to ask pretty good. question, but I'm going to ask it now because I've always, the Oilers have uh, consistently, if you go by at NHL man games lost, they've consistently been in the top like five for probably the last 20 years of man games lost, which is crazy. I think, Personally, it has a lot to do with the travel. Uh, does playing in the Mile High City have any effect? Do you think, like, just from a like a thought in terms of what what might be causing some of these injuries? Um, I mean, it makes you. It. I'll tell you. I I think probably not. But uh, from an anecdotal evidence standpoint, uh, you could look at. You can look at all four major sports teams in Denver over the last handful of years. The Nuggets might have had an NBA championship taken from them because of injuries. Um, now, those are a little different. <laughs> um, but uh, the Broncos have been one of the NFL's most injured teams recently. The Rockies have been horribly injured this year. Um, and obviously, the Avalanche have had bad injury issues each of the last three years. So, I, I mean, you are... Like you do, I, I think it's fair to ask the question. I don't know that there is uh, a, an extensive enough list of evidence that would that would lead me to believe the altitude has anything. I agree with the travel, though. I think the gra- the travel is a big problem in the NHL, and one one reason why I would be all for eliminating uh, the the need for cross conference games, um, especially each team has to go to every barn every year. Um, yeah. Eastern teams just have such a gigantic advantage when it comes to <laughs> the, the wear and tear of of travel, yeah. and like there's there's a reason that when Western teams go to to New York to play the Rangers, they always play the Rangers, the Islanders, the Devils, and sometimes the Sabers. Like they get it all out of the way. The same thing as Eastern teams going to California, they play San Jose, they play L.A., and they play Anaheim. Boom, 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 done. Yeah. Now we have Seattle and Vancouver. It's Edmonton and Calgary have always been that way. Uh, when you go to one, you got to go to the other because you're there and you got to make it count because you don't want to have to come back out. Yeah. Um, so I do think the the travel, especially for Western teams and especially for, for a team like a, like a Colorado where there's not really anything that close to them. They don't have like a neighboring city that they can get to really quickly. Vegas, Dallas, St. Louis, they're not arduous treks, but you know, Arizona, they're not, they're not like hard travel, but it, when you don't have like an easy one, you're not hopping on a train to go there. You know, it, uh, they all require a multi-hour flight or at least an hour and a half flight, which if that's your closest flight, my gosh, like you're not, you're not making any of these, you know, puddle jumps that, yeah. that you do out East sometimes. So I do think that the travel, um, does have more of a wear and tear effect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've uh, long suspected that in terms of the Oilers and why they continuously are up there in the top five. Uh, okay, last question, and this is uh, mainly for those folks, Oilers fans that are here that may end up in, in Denver. I asked you this the last time you're here. Uh, suggestions from a, from a fellow that lives in Denver, uh, what you do as a fan uh, visiting, what are the fans like? Uh, Anything, any advice you'd give anybody 
uh, going to um, Denver to watch the Oilers play. Uh, well, now I am completely biased, but I think that uh, you have to drop by the DNVR bar, come see our bar that yeah. we uh, that we work out of. So uh, drop by and come see the bar and come see a place that has hosted some actual championships in the last couple of years. <laughs> right no on. talking about the 80s up in that piece. We, uh, <laughs> you know, we've had back-to-back parades in the city of Denver, so we're feeling kind of sexy right now. Yeah. Um, so definitely come to the DMVR bar. Um, you know, when it comes to actually doing stuff downtown, God, I'm the worst person in the world to ask because I am a huge introvert who is afraid of people. <laughs> um, I hear we have a cool zoo. The butterfly pavilion is nice. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it has an, I think it has an underrated food scene as well. So, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, uh, you coming on today, AJ. And, and as I told you, I'll give you the last word. I uh, just want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, tonight. Thanks for a little bit of the, uh, the chat and that, uh, make it a little bit interactive. Um, as always, you know, we'll be back next week, Tuesday, 9 PM mountain. I believe next week we might have Dustin Nielsen on. Uh, I'll give you the, uh, give you the goods on that when it's a hundred percent for sure. So check out my Twitter at Oilers live. Uh, don't forget to put it in your calendars. Now the, uh, heavy hockey showdown, which is our charity annual charity game will be February. Uh, now I forgot the date, February 24th. Uh, and it's, uh, the day after the, uh, battle of Alberta. So Calgary and Edmonton in Edmonton, that's going to be a fun time. Put that in your calendars. That's in support of the sexual assault center of Edmonton. Not much else to say. Check out heavyhockey.com for the latest and greatest Oilers content and some other content from around the league. And, uh, AJ, make sure you let everybody know where they can find you. When you say your last words, you know, the drill, uh, say whatever you want. Um, of course it will depend on whether or not you get invited back. Uh, but I'll put myself on mute and when you're, when you're done, make sure you say good night. That's my cue. Everybody else. Thanks so much. Have a great night. AJ, you're on. Yeah. You know, I, uh, uh, I always appreciate getting invited on to do, uh, to do shows. Uh, so, uh, you know, thank you obviously for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, if any Oilers fan wants to put up with me throughout the season, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm still calling it Twitter. You can't make me stop. Uh, at, at Return of AJ, um, I uh, bullied some Jets fans a long time ago, so my uh, my original Twitter handle got uh, banned. So my, my bad Jets fans, sorry. Um, and um, at least that's what they tell me. Uh, so you can find me there over at, uh, at DNVR underscore avalanche is where we do all of our work. We've got, you know, we do a bunch of, uh, a bunch of pods. We do a bunch of video content. We have a bunch of written content as well. Um, so, you know, if you have any interest in the avalanche, uh, view of things, we, uh, we're always around We're all, you know, we do five pods per week, even in the God awful month of August, uh, throughout the course of the summer. So, you know, my, 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 uh, my my last missive, I guess, is mostly just promoting where we are, where you can find us. You know, we have a great team of people that's out uh, doing it. I want to say thanks to the ABS fans in chat that I know come from uh, our show. I recognize a lot of you. It was cool uh, interacting with some Oilers fans. It's 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 uh, it's always fun to be behind uh, enemy lines and see how the other half lives. So it's uh, you know being on the other side of that Western Conference Final sweep is uh, you know it's it's cool to say hi and. Uh, 
I'm not. I don't have any dunking. I I like the Oilers. I think they're really good. I thought the Matias Ekholm deal was my favorite to the deadline last year. So uh, I come in peace. I swear I'm not the worst person in the world. Um, but other than that, no, I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any. I don't have any trash talk for you. Um, you know, I let I let I, I let the banner do all the talking. So we'll. Uh, you know, hopefully I'll get invited back, and hopefully I was nice uh, nice enough. So uh, I guess that's it. Good night.